Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 71. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're discussing Next Gen's third season episodes, Deja Q, A Matter of Perspective, and Yesterday's Enterprise. And we are very pleased to uh, welcome our longtime listener, Benji, to discuss Deja Q. Say hello, Benji. Hey, everybody. We're glad to have you back. We had you on, was it like DS9's fifth season, I think, something like that? Give or take a season? Yeah, it was for doing the episodes in the cards and Call to Arms. It was the season five finale. I cool, think it was cool. episode 33, 34, something like that. It was about a year ago. Awesome. Wow. That feels like longer than a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Benji's going to be joining us for Deja Q, and we're going to get started right now. Deja Q, Season 3, Episode 13, Production Number 161, Original Air Date, February 5th, 1990, Directed by Les Landau, Written by Richard Danis, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Casts Include John Delancey as Q, Corbin Burnson as Q2, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, Richard Consino as Garen, Betty Muramoto as Braille for Scientist, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> While orbiting the planet Brielle to investigate a descending asteroidal moon, which, if not corrected, could cause massive disaster on the planet, the crew is surprised by an unexpected arrival of Q. Although Picard immediately suspects the mischievous Q is responsible for the moon's deteriorating orbit, Q admits that the continuum have stripped him of his omnipotent powers and made him human, thus making him unable to cause or save the moon's orbit. Now, you and I both know that the Calamarain would have eventually destroyed the Enterprise to get to you. And that's really why you left, right? Was a teeny bit selfless, wasn't it? Yeah, and there's my problem. See, I can't go back to the Continuum and tell them that you committed a selfless act just before the end. If I do, there's going to be questions, there's going to be explanations for centuries. I've learned my lesson, Q. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but possibly the most important addition to... This episode, or this episode's most important uh, contribution to uh, Next Gen, Star Trek in general, perhaps the entire world, isn't the internet meme of Picard doing the faceplant from this episode? Um, huh. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like every website went over there, they want to show, like, disgust with something. Uh, or complete <laughs> lack of patience. Oh that, yeah, that still hard, like yeah, doing the. Fit the that's fit. right. That's right. Here's I believe you're correct. Yeah, <laughs> you cracked me up. I was like, oh my god, because I didn't know what episode. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I've seen that a million times. The internet meme. Anyway, um, Benji, why don't you kick it off? Because uh, you you really wanted to talk about this episode. Um, why? So you definitely like it. I know you're a fan of Q. Uh, but why? Did yeah. You um, like this episode. So well. The main reason why I picked this episode is because, yes, I I am a longtime fan and watcher of Star Trek in general, but um, Next Generation is where I first began, and so I've seen the, pretty much all of the Next Generation episodes many, many times, and Q has always been one of my favorite characters, and what I really love about this episode is that this is where Q really changes. This is the most important episode in Star Trek for Q. And this is where he really changes from just being a villain, because if you look at Encounter at Farpoint, 
Hide and Q and Q Who, all of these episodes, he's you know, he's pretty much out to get the crew of the Enterprise at this point. But when we get into some of the things that go on in this episode, you're gonna really see some some signs in, in him. And when you look at some of the later episodes, such as like Cupid and particularly um Tapestry, and even some of the later episodes from Voyager that he's in, there's a a big change in his behavior, and I think that a lot of that has to do with what happens to him in this episode. And well, so it's, it's, it's a that so much of yeah. So after this episode, so much of Q is going to be either like Tapestry. You can really make the argument that he's oh yeah that he's a hundred percent huge yeah that he's that he's that he's contributing to um, Picard's the the. the everything good that is Picard and, and Picard understanding his place in the universe. You know, he's doing something arguably yeah. flat out good, but even later, like he's talking about the Voyager stuff, you know, or even the, the later stuff in next gen um, with the Vosh, even the DS nine episode he's in, you can see where he is, he is contributing like this episode changes his attitudes towards humans. Well, so much of, it really, of really who, he's, who he is like in Voyager when he's dealing with the other members of the queue or, or dealing with Vosh here on Next Gen, it it is going to be like his relationship with other people, because and I and I, yeah. and I do wonder if it's something out of this episode um, that he he gains an appreciation for for his relationships with others after he gets a sense of of what it is to be all alone, which is in, a, in an odd way what this episode brings to his character more than anything for me. You know, yeah. he feels I mean, more there's... ostracized. It's it's ironic that he feels more ostracized as a human <laughs> among humans yeah. than he does as Q among them. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a great line on Data says, you know, what you've achieved in disgrace is what I want to achieve in my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would I would argue that it um, the change in Cube started to begin. The beginning of the change in the Q character started with what was his last episode? It was Q who, who right? When he introduced the Borg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of think that's where I mean it's a little bit it's obvious I agree with you, Ben. It's very much more dramatic in this episode. But uh, um I saw a change in Q going through these in that episode towards the end where his his he was still very vicious and and, and and cruel to the the crew of the Enterprise in the episode, but he was actually doing it for a reason. Um, yeah, actually, you're right about that. Um, if I can just interject for just a moment, just thinking about it now, you actually kind of got me thinking about something interesting here. Um, yeah, you are right about that. That he he has changed a little bit in that episode, and now I'm actually kind of thinking that it might actually be his experience from Hyden Q because that was pointed out by. Picard in that episode that he is very fascinated with humans and so I think that might have really been where the fascination started and then that continued on into Q Who where again in that episode he's really trying to basically take them down a notch basically trying to show them that they are very full of themselves and and then as, as you said it's a very dramatic change in this episode well you almost had to because it's not like you could have, like, what do you do with the Squire of Gothos if you bring him back as the Squire of <laughs> right. Gothos every time? Yeah. You, know, you got so. I mean, I think they they did it with the single exception, the single exception of the DS9 episode. Um, I think they did a very good job 
of having a good reason to bring Q back, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and giving us something great for his character. And, and it grew. Um, his, yeah, and his character would grow yeah. in those episodes, too. That was the nice part about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, uh, this is such a, really a simple story, which is, I don't know, I guess that's in a way different from the other Q stuff. Um, but, I mean, is this, how does this rank among the Q episodes to you guys? It's I mean, I, I would average, say it's higher up on, on my list. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's important. Personally, um, I, I think if I had to pick one favorite Q episode of all the Q episodes, I, I think that I would probably either go for Death Wish or Q2 from Voyager, but um, this one still ranks high among my list, for sure. It, I, it is I guess important. if we- if we count all good things, I don't know if you count that as a Q episode. <laughs> yeah. um, I enjoyed ta- Tapestry. Yeah, Tapestry's very good. Yeah. At any rate, um, they do something different and unique in every one. And uh, in this one, we get um, Q experiencing what it's like to be, what is his line in, in Picard's office there, uh, the king that would be a man or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that works, and that's that's an interesting an interesting story. It's a worthwhile uh, story. It's very, it's good. Uh, uh, funny part, how his outfit in this episode is so horrible. I like how they, you know, he makes fun of himself for what he, because it's just a horrible outfit. They <laughs> yeah. have him in. Uh, that's the default thing for people to come on the ship without clothes. Huh? Okay. <laughs> you guys actually, see, um, I have a story about that. Actually, that's actually a story that um, I heard John Delancey tell. Mm-hmm. in Las Vegas at a Star Trek convention that I attended back in 2005. And um, I, I don't remember everything that he had to say word for word now, obviously, as I was you know several years back. But um, he actually did come out on stage and say that he actually really was naked for that scene. And he said the reason being was that they, they honestly did attempt to give him something to cover himself. And that I, I guess whatever underwear or whatever it was they had him wearing, he said that it, it kept on getting in the shot. And they were doing take after take after take. And he said that they were all exhausted and frustrated at this point. And um, he, he said, you know what? Anybody want to go? Go. Anybody want to stay? Stay. He said he took it off and said, let's go. Let's do this. And that was <laughs> how they shot the scene. That He said they got it perfect after that. Nice. <laughs> it was a very interesting and humorous story. Yeah, I think after like you know a fifteen-hour day, I'd be <laughs> I'd be ready to do that so I can go home and some sleep. Where uh, um, we still got some more time on this one? Actually, there's some cool. It's an it's an odd. It's odd that it's in this episode, but that shot of the Enterprise entering the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I it's a short little shot, mm-hmm. but it's it's such great FX work. It's really cool, and I remember that shot. And mm-hmm. it seems like you see it in every trailer ever about. Yeah, you know the series and stuff, but I forget that it's in this episode. Yeah, I I noted in I, I made a note that I was impressed with a lot of the angles of the ship they used in this. I mean, it was pretty fresh. You know, I thought mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like just the usual, you know, uh, coming in, moving out kind of angles of the ship. There were a lot of unusual things, and yeah, especially that shot. And they, they also they do a nice job with the humor. You know, they, there are a couple moments that made me laugh out loud uh, when when near the beginning, uh, Q says, you know. How can I convince you that I'm mortal? <laughs> mortal. And Worf says, die. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, I like yeah. the rebuttal. 
uh, eat any good books lately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, uh, probably the most memorable stuff out of this episode for me are the conversations between uh, Q and uh, Data. There's there's a lot of that, and it, it gives the whole episode a really nice kind of arc, you know, of course, ending with Q giving Data the laugh, mm-hmm. uh, which every time I see it now makes me think of Generations, oddly, of course. Really? <laughs> um, but, it, you know, if you've got this character and that we know him as the mischief maker and he needs to kind of learn something here, you know, when he comes in there, it would be it would be easy for his lines and delivery and stuff. It would be easy for him to be talking to Picard about, you know, I felt shame when I realized I wouldn't have done the same to save Data. It would be easy for that stuff to sound, be feel like a reach or sound silly or permanently neuter the character in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't. You know, they, they they walk that fine line, and I think they pull it off. And I and I believe him. And I believe that even after he gets his powers back, it's not like he's totally changed. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so I think that that overall, it's this is, episode is deceptively difficult for Q, and that they they do uh, pull it off. I, and I even I like I I find myself always remembering and enjoying some of the more mundane stuff, like like mm-hmm. in engineering, whenever he's like totally bored trying to work the controls or whatever he's doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they, uh, I think it's a testament for to uh, Delancey and the writers how they yeah. consistently did good work with that character. You know, I mean, he's he's a high point of the series, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Benji, what's your what's your favorite scene in this episode, Benji? Um, honestly, I would have to say that um, one of my favorite scenes is probably the scene after Data is injured when he tries to save Q from the Calamarine, and we have that scene where Data is basically unconscious in sick bay and. Q comes up to him and says, you know, you, if it means anything to you, you make a better human than I would. And when he goes off to the shuttlecraft and tries to escape and then has that discussion with the, with another member of the Q, um, I, I really enjoyed all, all that stuff because that's actually really the first time that we ever see another member of the Q continuum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed that and it shows that that's really the scene where Q really comes to, realizing that you know once it's pointed out to him of course that he is doing something selfless that he's capable of doing something selfless that these are people that even though he he enjoys to irritate them he does care about them and that will come to play even in the very next episode that he's in and cupid that will really come to play yes he's being irritating in that episode but he's he's also trying to prove a point and he continuously does that pretty much for the rest of the episodes he's in, except for maybe True Q is a little bit of a different matter. But other than that, pretty much everything else, he might be going about it in an irritating way, but he's usually right in what it is he's attempting to say. And it's usually for the greater good of Picard or of the ship or whatever it may be. I was always a little bit confused. I guess they never really gave us the details about his you know, uh, uh, ongoing argument with uh, Guinan. Guinan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. in this episode, I like their scene together a lot. Yeah. Um, I love that she's, she stabs him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like maybe the, the music was almost too dark. Like that, it wasn't funny. It was just dark because I think partly because of the music. <laughs> but I, I do like their scene. Um, it's one of those things where you forget 
this is still like you know one of the biggest celebrities on the planet in the 80s yeah they bring her in for what is essentially one scene <laughs> you know that's that's pretty cool um what about getting corbin burson that was a pretty good pretty good yeah gap pretty at the good time. Gap there too i don't even i don't time, even now would be like who is this guy but <laughs> i don't think LA he Law. had a credit i don't think he's credited in the episode um but yeah that that was great um <clears throat> uh i laughed out loud i have to say really quick <laughs> whenever picard says to beam the shuttle with with uh, q back to the uh, the bay because um it's a perfectly good shuttlecraft <laughs> and and then of course the mariachi music always makes me kind of laugh too <laughs> but at any rate uh, we're gonna go over um what's this episode about guys Uh, <laughs> wait to see who goes first benji go ahead take it what's this episode about um i say that this episode is probably about more than just one thing i would say that it's um what uh i think uh, brian pointed out a little bit earlier that this episode is kind of dealing with learning to be alone you know he he feels very cut off and very alone in this episode that's one of the things it can be about i think that it's also about learning about yourself and what you are capable of becoming under the right circumstances yeah there's a little humility in this um episode yeah a lot of humility for q who has been on top of the world you know up to this point yeah well you could take it so far talking about you know if he's he's getting an appreciation for what it means to be alone and and how important your relationship with others is you know eventually he's going to have a, a an actual romantic relationship with another member of the queue and produce offspring which is unheard of for the queue i mean that's we're talking about a voyager storyline but you know if you take it that far um you, you see all these these changes from him which over the course of whatever you know 15 years maybe isn't so obvious but if you watch all these episodes back to back um you see all that uh steve what do you think it's about yeah i mean i think i think there's a lot going on here really i mean you could have a good argument for any of these points for me it was also just the the kind of the classic um sacrifice kind of story too you know i mean and and you could even go so far as to as to draw parallels biblically with this i mean you have a a a godlike character coming Mm -hmm. amongst uh humans mortal and then ultimately um you know, choosing to sacrifice himself for another, and that's what ultimately leads to his ascension. You know, so I mean, maybe a little, <laughs> a little too on the nose or see too broad, but I, I think that certainly there's an element of sacrifice to it. And, and, and remember too, he's saving more than the Enterprise and its crew. By yeah. saving the Enterprise and its crew, they're, you know, we assume they would be able to complete their plans to prevent Save that them. moon from falling out of orbit and destroying that planet. Yeah. Well, was really there good, ever a big really good point? I just I hadn't ever, considered that before. Really good point. Good point. Real quick about the 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 people on the planet. Were there ever was there ever a pair that laid on the guilt more than those two? <laughs> I know every time we see them, they're like, <laughs> you know, hey, I, I wanted Picard to be like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Maybe we'll just leave then, or you can handle it yourself. You know, yeah. <laughs> moon crashing into your planet, bad. Got it. Okay. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote Moon's Deteriorating Orbit, but my handwriting, as usual, I can't read my own writing. I swear I thought it's Mom's. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that means, but it's not bad. 
Well, it didn't help with that alien race when their makeup makes them look like they're perpetually pouting. You know, like that. <laughs> yeah. Lines all seem looped. Anyway, all right, moving on to Six Degrees for Deja Q. Uh, Adam. Yes. Corbin Burnson plays Q2. Asking you because you asked about it. Mention about it. Uh, Burnson is best known for his playing Arnie Becker in what LA-based television show that ran from '86 to '94? Um, LA Law. Correct, LA Law. Sorry, of course uh, it's kind of hard to do our usual six degrees, so we're just doing kind of a variation on that. Um, Steve. Yes. Burnson also guest starred once on what 2004 to 2008 David E. Kelly show that starred William Shatner and Ray and Nay Abergenois. Oh yeah, Boston Legal. Correct. And Benji, in 1998, Burnson co-starred with what Star Trek captain in Major League Back to the Miners? Wow. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no idea to tell you the truth. I'll just, I'll just take a guess. I mean, I, you know, I've got a one in five chance of getting it right. Um, I'll just guess and say Avery Brooks. No. Okay. Can I guess? Yes, but it's not for a point. But <laughs> not for a point. I can't steal a point. Come on. All right. All right. Um, it's for, okay. It's for a point. So, um, Scott Bakula. You are right. It was Scott Bakula. I should have said what future Star Trek captain, but then that would have made it even. Weirder. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, Which, what hey. future past captain? Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> future past, right, right, right. Benji, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's been fun. <laughs> A Matter of Perspective, Season 3, Episode 14, Production Number 162, Original Air Date, February 12th, 1990, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Written by Ed Zuckerman, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Call Meany as Miles O'Brien, Craig Richard Nelson as Craig, Mark Margolis as Nell Apgar, Gina Hecht as Manua Apgar, Juliana Donald as Tana, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> Following a routine mission at the Tanga Science Station, Riker beams back to the Enterprise moments before Dr. Apgar, the director of the Starfleet facility, is killed when the station explodes. A short time later, Chief Investigator Craig of the Tangan Security Force arrives to take Riker into custody after Apgar's widow and assistant accuse the first officer of threatening Apgar. Picard, however, refuses to release Riker until reasonable evidence is offered to warrant his arrest. Commander, don't please. She's lying. That never happened. Freeze program. Please. Captain, you know I would never act like that. Commander Riker. This isn't me. I wasn't the one who closed the door. I didn't proposition her, and I certainly didn't try to rape her. Well, this is obviously very, very, very much um, uh, Rashomon, the uh, Kurosawa movie from... What year was that? It was 1950, 1951, something like that? Yeah, somewhere around that time. I haven't watched that movie. I mean, maybe our listeners, I think our listeners probably know this. I'm sure I've said something about it before, but I am a huge Kurosawa fan. But that particular Kurosawa picture, I have not watched in some years. Um, I, I caught it when I bought it on Blu-ray. It was just in the last one or two years. So. Oh, that was a Criterion Blue, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I need to pick that up. Because even their DVD looked really good. But okay, so if you've watched it relatively recently, you can remind me. Wasn't there? I mean, of course, the, the awesome thing about that movie was um, the way it shows you, you know, the same, the, the same uh, 
situation, the mm -hmm. same scenario from each person's different point of view. Mm -hmm. But wasn't there like, wasn't it very specific that one of them actually was the, the correct one? Like the very last one they showed, this actually is what happened. Wasn't it like that? I don't know about that. I thought it no, was a little ambiguous. It, it was, was ambiguous? Okay. Yeah, and I do remember the oddest thing was that one of the perspectives was the, the uh, ghost. Yeah, done yeah. through a medium or something. Yes. Um, right. Well, you know, so <clears throat> at any rate, this episode is, is very obviously heavily influenced by Rashomon, which – I've seen movie other movies that have done that. I've seen other TV shows that have done that. So Star Trek gets its own little unique take, obviously. Um, instead of just being flashbacks, like other uh, movies and television shows would have done it, Star Trek's version gets to use the holodeck, which is cool. That's fun. Um, there are some cool things in this episode, and I can see what how difficult it would have been to pull it off. Unfortunately, I don't I don't think that it's ever more than the sum of its parts, you know? Unlike say the next episode we're going to discuss yesterday's enterprise, which is a um which is a rare feat in that it's very plot heavy. You know, it really is plot 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 plot. But then when everything gets put together, it just works like gangbusters. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's an example where you know, all the individual pieces are fine, but actually the episode is just okay. I don't think this is a bad episode. Um, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I I agree with the general assessment. It's it's okay. It's um, it's a hard thing to live up to. I mean, I think I think I think what makes it so interesting is the um, is the is what they're essentially ripping off from from Rashomon and and uh, and how how they. I don't know. It, it, it's so extreme. It's like it's humorous in a bad yeah. way. Sometimes that's when it's a problem. You know, yeah, it's like, like when let's see the let's see what Riker's viewpoint. He really thought that she was hitting on him that much, and then that wasn't the case. And she believed. I mean, you know, it was so silly some of that stuff. And then the then the who's that guy moments with the fighting was hilarious. Oh, I loved it. And all he's doing is punching him in the gut. Yeah, <laughs> that have to be a stunt guy. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Um, Caesar. You know, yeah, I, 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 all these years later, I'm still calling you Caesar half the time on our show. <laughs> and, our, you know, right. listeners, it's because when we started this show, we had Steve's brother, Adam, was um, our audio engineer. And so I just so that I wasn't saying Adam and people were like, who are you talking to? I started saying Caesar. Mm. You know, I couldn't most, people say, think, most people don't think of us as a first name anyway, so it's all good. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I just I can't I can't seem to break that habit on it's this quite podcast. Right. So I'm just letting our listeners. Okay. Quite well, right. So what do you think of a matter of perspective? You know, it is it is kind of a matter of perspective. Your title on the show. Uh, so what do you think of? Um, honestly, I didn't care for it that much. I thought it had a lot of holes, and I kind of agree with Steve that it was kind of kind of goofy. I mean, just you know, so far fetched on on either side of the the realm. Each person's story was so skewed to the right or the left, however you want to say it. Um, like I said, I thought, I thought the episode had a lot of holes in it and I didn't really like the way it made, um, commander or, you know, William Riker's character look, you know, I mean, you know, if you think about it, there's always some sort of, the truth always kind of lies in between somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really like that. They went there with Riker's character. It kind of made me feel creepy about him. Yeah, Well, even, even the, the version that Riker gives, like this is the version that I believe happened. Yeah. Even that is like, that's not Riker to no. me. It was no. like, he was so completely, uh, 
almost not disgusted, but he was so totally against the uh, concept of having of right. sleeping with this woman or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. that's not the Riker that we know. No. And he's very defensive. He's very defensive in the episode, which kind of leads you to believe that there's some guilt there. So I just kind of felt I kind I kind of felt I felt kind of felt like this was more Thomas Riker than um, William Riker. Um, It just yeah, just the episode just kind of left me with a little bad taste in it. Like I said, there's a ton of holes in it, story wise. I mean, you know, it's yeah, Picard. They're like, you know, the the evidence is overwhelming. I'm like, no, the evidence is all speculative. There's no overwhelming evidence. That's something else I wrote down because. Everything in here is just he said, she said, right? right? The only physical evidence, the only thing that's really compelling, there's just one thing. It's that this energy burst that they believe was a phaser originated from Riker's position just before he beamed out. That is physical evidence that's that's worth something. but Did he even have a phaser? Would it be pretty easy to, you know, tell if he, you know, had a phaser? And well, yeah, then that's th- – th- here's an perfect example, listeners, of the kind of thing that if the episode's really good, you don't think about. Yeah. Like there are there are examples in, in yesterday's Enterprise. We could probably point out some holes, and I don't think we're going to because it's so dang good and so entertaining. Right. Um, but in this episode, I found myself thinking stuff like, wouldn't by this time, wouldn't the phaser have some way of like knowing every time it had been fired? Like, right. wouldn't there be, like, some record in the side of the phaser, you would think? Wouldn't he have to be holding it when he was beamed <laughs> back into, you know, because you shoot that thing, would you have time to put it back away while you're being beamed? If you didn't, you would think, like, the phaser, the actual blast would be accompanying you <laughs> over to the Enterprise. <laughs> I don't know. Um, another thing that bothered me, like you said, you're right, the whole, when the episode's never get the holes are huge. I mean, the other thing, you yeah. know, wouldn't it be easy to confirm whether Riker had arranged for quarters on the planet? I thought of that one too, but I figured, I mean, he could still just decide not to use them after he gets there and sees this beautiful woman. Right. So maybe that was, you could let go. But, but regardless, but, you know, we're talking about it like I hated it. I didn't hate it. There were, you know, just, just like Steve, what you said, the, the interesting bits were the bits when they're flat off. It's not really ripping it off so much as an homage. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, when they're flat that's out the only, referencing yeah. Rashomon, that's when it's kind of cool and interesting. So when you've got like scenes where they they literally have the exact same line, but yet it's just somebody's look that gives it a different slant, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoy those moments. Like, I don't remember. There's some line that the doctor has, uh, but then it cuts to like the second time whenever it's the you know, evil Riker, uh, when he gives that line, we see uh, we see Riker's reaction, and his face just looks a little different. But it, it gives an entirely different direction. And that kind of stuff is fun and cool. And that, to me, is the real point, is um, how individual perception, you know, completely uh, changes these supposedly factual events. That's, that is kind of neat. And then they hint at it, too, when... Um, the... What's it? Mua? Mua? What's the wife's name? Mm. Uh, yes. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, Manua, Manua, or something. Manua. Like yeah. When when Manua when Manua gives her testimony, uh, and you know as she's walking out, and Troy says to Riker, she believes that's what happened, you know, and obviously, that's not what Riker shows. So Riker believes his view view was accurate. She believes her view was accurate, and that's that's kind of the heart of what's cool about Rashomon. That's kind of the heart of what's What's cool about this concept, um, it would be totally not interesting at all if she was just flat out lying. Right. right? Um, so that is kind of cool. The problem is that's really such a small part of this. Yeah. Most of this episode, um, 
uh, instead of feeling like a different take, it, it's it's like you said, you know, it's 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 so extreme that it's almost silly. You can't there's you no, can't buy that. No you can't buy the stories that they both believe what they did, and it's so different. It's, you know, come on. Yeah. yeah. And and I think and I think so. I think the big part is it's if they made the differences more subtle and they focus more on some kind of characterization of Riker or something. I mean, as as we've talked about, basically it makes him look bad. It's not only that there's a chance that he was, you know. Engaging in behavior down there that was unprofessional, but um, when he's up there, he seems guilty. He's like nervous and looking in. What are they talking about me? And you know all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So it, it totally flies in the and, and and because of all that stuff too, you have no focus on one of our main characters. I mean, if they would have made it more about let's make some subtle differences. Let's have some conversation. Let's say, hmm, do you maybe you do engage in some professional unprofessional behavior now and then on away missions or or something and something you know introspective about it in some respect. I don't know, but. Yeah, so we end up feeling like it doesn't bring anything to the characters, and what it tries to bring is not the characters that we know. Yeah, right. Um, but again, I don't think it's terrible. I do not think this episode is terrible. I, I say it's terrible. I use the word terrible to describe plenty of first and second season episodes. I would. I should have if I didn't do it more. Um, this episode is fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. And it's bookended by some good episodes, in particular, Yesterday's Enterprise. Um, but you know, it's such, it's so funny, so funny because they're throwing so much of this stuff together at the last minute. There's so many things, you know, oh my God, oh my God. Sometimes it really, really, really works. And sometimes it's just, just okay. Um, there'll be times, there'll be times when, when Brian comes back on and hates an episode. (laughs) (laughs) And, and just, just so we're not leaving everyone hanging, I did look it up and uh, generally speaking, the last, uh, segment in Rashomon, May or may not be the truth, but it's kind of it leads you to believe it could be the truth. Okay, that's what I was thinking, yeah. and and the reason I brought that up was because I felt like it took something out of this episode that we never. Okay, let me rephrase this another way. What makes Rashomon? What made Rashomon in so cool in my memory? Which you know, okay, I haven't seen it in a while, but what made it so cool in my memory was we got what each of these people believed was the truth from their own perspective. Mm-hmm. And then we got what we saw as the truth, and in a way, and we got that last, and in a way that completely illuminated how these other characters saw it the way they did. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it by see, once you see the truth, and then you see how it looks from that individual's point of view, you get a better understanding of that individual and why they see things the way they do, right? Mm-hmm. And by never giving us the truth in this episode. By by making showing us things that are so exaggerated that even the one that we probably would have assumed was true, Rikers, uh, that's not the Riker we know. Right. So by never giving us the truth to compare it to, we it doesn't illuminate any of our characters, thereby in a way fundamentally wrecking the whole point to me of Rashomon. In a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I was asking about that. Yeah. Thank you for looking that up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um you know, every place I looked it up called this a bottle episode. I, is this really a bottle show? I guess. I don't not really because they did have to build extra sets. Yeah, right? they did I guess have they're a set. they're kind of flimsy and all, but there were three, what two two sets there that they used. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it doesn't feel claustrophobic to me. That's my point. And I uh, read yeah. a lot of reviews and stuff. People talking about this episode feeling so claustrophobic, and I I didn't feel that. Did you guys? Well, 
I did. I did feel it a little bit, and I think it's primarily because we're, you know, we see the the set where they go down to, and then we the set is recreated on the holodeck, and it's just this one place and the ship. They spend so much time in there. So I mean, I felt that a little bit. I could see that. What were you gonna say, Caesar? There, I didn't. Yeah, they didn't bother me. That I mean, basically, it was the bridge, um, the station, and a couple ready room shots. Probably about the all the sets you got and then I guess the holodeck right there at the end well maybe another thing that makes this episode feel a little weak is the guest actors are not as good they're fine but when you watch something like Yesterday's Enterprise and you've got two awesome guest actors that really bring so much to mm-hmm. these characters that didn't have a lot on the page um, you know it, it elevates it in a way that this episode doesn't get they're not bad they're mm-hmm. just not you know yeah yeah See, but I, I would disagree with you a little bit, Brian. But I would say this is a, this is a bad episode just because okay. just because the way you're left with the, with Riker, it's so out of character. I mean, just the feeling. I mean, you know, we talked about it enough in the, about this episode. But yeah, I would mm-hmm. just because it's so out of character, and it leaves yeah. you even even the last scene. You know, like, hey, would you want to get out of here? You know, it just. I I would say it's it's maybe it's bad for season three. I don't think it's I don't think it's a terrible hour of television, and I think it would have been pretty awesome in seasons one or two. <laughs> um, well, also because we didn't have the characters nailed down as much then either, and it wouldn't have yeah, felt yeah. as odd, you know, with Riker. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, that's very true. And you would have but, felt dirty about Riker for another six years. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the people involved in the production of this episode think it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it about, guys? Well, what it's shooting for, obviously, is, yeah. the, is the notion of the subjectivity of of you know truth. perception. Yeah, what is what is truth? We you know our memories are not perfect, and our perceptions all are different. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah, gosh, it's it's Star Trek for God's sake. They could have had that. Here's the truth version. Shouldn't there have been like, you know, mm-hmm. so much data always being recorded everywhere? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Caesar, what's it about? Um, that sounds good. The perception of truth, eye of the beholder. Kind of stuff sounds sounds good. Yeah, it, I, it's certainly shooting for uh, a lofty, you know, a meaningful and worthwhile, you know, a subject. Um, it, I don't, I don't think it achieves it for all the reasons we've discussed, but it, it is going for something, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why I think it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was to me, if it was really truly terrible, it would. Uh, I wouldn't even see that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's move on to. Six degrees for a matter of perspective. Um, Steve, you going first or second? Oh, first. Craig Richard Nelson plays Investigator Craig, the Tanugan officer that wants the chance to take Riker down to the planet for questioning. In Voyager's fourth season, he played the Vascan Arbiter in the episode Living Witness. Which member of Voyager's crew is the all-important witness? Mm. Oh, yeah, I think it's the Doctor. You are correct. It was the EMH. Uh, Adam, yes. Julie Donald. Julie Donald plays Tan Tana, Doctor Epgar's assistant that doesn't have a problem with a little hearsay. In DS9's third season, she plays Emmy, buyer of stem bolts, in the episode Profit Motive. In this episode, Cork tries to save Zek after what has happened to Zek. Um, I should third third season, right? Yeah, third season. I don't know if I should be more specific with that question. He's, He's not. He hasn't been kidnapped. I'm going to say that. I'll just give you that bit. He has not been kidnapped or anything like that. 
Um, he's trying to help because he was. Oh, wasn't he in the Delta? Not the Delta. He was in the. Um, he went through the wormhole, or I, he's trying to find him. He's trying to find him um, in the Gamma Quadrant because he was. What is it? He's trying to set up trade. And no. I'm kind of babbling here. No, Steve. No, I don't. I'm mixing up episodes. I'm afraid. Uh, he did go into the wormhole, and the aliens made him all happy and peaceful, and he rewrote the rules. Mm, oh yes, uh, that one. the prophets made him nutty. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Yesterday's Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 15, Production Number 163. Original air date, February 19, 1990. Directed by David Carson. Story by Trent Christopher Ganino and Eric A. Stilwell. Teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear, Richard Manning, Hans Beimler, and Ronald D. Moore. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Denise Crosby as Natasha Yar, Christopher McDonald as Richard Castillo, Trisha O'Neill as Rachel Garrett, and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. While on a routine mission, the Enterprise discovers a bizarre rift in space, which reveals an unidentified vessel. A distortion occurs, and both ships are now on an alternate timeline where the Federation is in the midst of a bloody war with the Klingons. The crew identifies the mysterious vessel as their ship's immediate predecessor, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701-C, believed to have been destroyed in battle over 20 years ago. Starfleet Command believes that defeat is inevitable. Within six months, we may have no choice but to surrender. Are you saying that all this may be a result of our arrival here? One more ship will make no difference in the here and now. But 22 years ago, one ship could have stopped this war before it started. Yesterday's Enterprise, an episode that in a weird way gets better, I think, every time I watch it. Mm. I don't know why. Um, and oh my God, in HD, <laughs> the, the changes to the lighting and stuff. Yeah. So beautiful. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I, uh, if I would have enjoyed watching this every episode for seven years, but it's, it's probably the... the visually the prettiest of, of all the next gen episodes for me it's 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 such a s- seemingly simple thing to do like these this high contrast you know mm-hmm. light it differently and stuff and they make other changes too but man it's beautiful and in hd it was even more beautiful those shadows in sd were just black and here there was like some depth to them anyway um so we could probably i'm assuming we all are in love with this episode as much as i am yeah <laughs> yeah <clears throat> This episode is such an anomaly because so much of the time, so this episode, it went through so many nutty changes. You know, the original stories were, you almost couldn't even tell. It, it, there were, the original story, it was two stories that were combined. Guardian of Forever and uh, Surak were in some of these versions, these drafts, okay? This thing went through so many changes until it ended up being what it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Even then, they get down to the point where they've got a draft that massively needs to be rewritten. Um, let's say, that, and this is in like November, and they're planning to shoot in January. And then all of a sudden, they find out that that um, Denise Crosby and Whoopi Goldberg aren't available in January. They have to shoot like December 10th or 11th or something like that. And this is, you know, this is the week of Thanksgiving. They find that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They rewrite this episode completely, 
Everybody, everybody works on it. Everybody takes an act. They completely rewrite it in just a few days. Um, David Carson, the director, actually has to come in and work with uh, the production designers and stuff because they don't have time to do it the normal way. So they do all these changes to the Enterprise in just a few days. I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts, and it's the kind of thing where it makes a crappy episode. At the end of it, all this stuff, last-minute crap, it doesn't work. And most of the time, in those scenarios, when, we, when we've talked about episodes, hey, this episode isn't very good, or this episode sucks, that's usually the reason. Because <laughs> yeah. they didn't have time to finish it. They didn't have time to finish writing it. They didn't know what they were doing. It didn't make sense to anybody at the time, and sure enough, you got crap. This is one of those times where... Everything just worked somehow. I can't explain it, but it just works. Everything falls into place. And the, the craziest part is, this episode, narratively, it is really plot-heavy. It is very plot, 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 plot. Mm-hmm. We still get some great character stuff. You know, the Guinan, the card stuff, and even Tasha. Just the concept of getting, you know, getting a, a good death for this character. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we still get some good character stuff, but for the most part, this episode is very, very heavy on plot, very, very, very heavy on Star Trek stuff, like, you know, the different eras and the ships and the uniforms and the kind of stuff that, you know, it's it's very fun for us Star Trek nuts. But there's so much of this that I can see how it would not make sense to people that aren't just really into Star Trek. I have to read you this quote <laughs> from Jonathan Frakes, uh, who said... And this is, this is very common now. A lot of people that might watch this episode think like this. He said, um, to this day, I do not understand yesterday's Enterprise. I do not know what the F <laughs> <laughs> happened in that episode. I'm still trying to understand it, but I like to look. <laughs> this is Jonathan Frakes. And it makes me laugh out loud every time I've read that quote. But I can see how that would be so. You know, there's so much. If you just watched this and you didn't know Star Trek, it would be very confusing. <laughs> confusing to the point where it wouldn't even be entertaining you know um but it's good it's not just good it's really good and it's good every time i've seen it and in a way it's gotten better with time you know well it's it's, um it's it's great sci-fi i mean you know just the way i mean the way i didn't know the story behind the story the way it was put together but if you watch this episode you would think that that didn't happen Mm -hmm. um but i mean it's great i mean it's got all the elements in it I mean, not only for Star Trek fans, but for science fiction fans, you know, you have this time, you know, I know time travel has become cliche at this point, but I mean, it's still a cool story to be able to, to, to show this, what happens if just something very minute changes the timeline, you, it completely changes everything. And, um, they were able to pull that off in the story, um, in a very convincing way. And it's, it's just, it's just draws you in. It's interesting, especially if you're a fan of the show and Star Trek in general. Well, the cool thing is that even though we're getting this, I mean, you can kind of talk about matter of uh, perspective here, even though we're getting this different, this alternate timeline, this different view of our universe, um, it is illuminating to the characters in our main universe, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like the Picard-Guinan relationship. I sure. can't, even though technically... Those scenes did not ever happen, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well. Because they changed the timeline back. To me, that stuff defines their relationship in a way, and it and it's because it's the natural, it's the natural effect of putting these two together. You know, it it it, it illumines it illuminates their relationship in such a deep way to me that it doesn't matter that this stuff didn't really happen because I better understand their relationship. I better understand each individual character and their relationship. You know, I can't imagine stuff like. 
um, time zero or even generations without this episode. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, side note, the other thing this episode does for me, like even, um, Roberto Ortsi has referenced this episode as being very influential f- for the Abrams Star Trek. You know, he wrote that one. Yeah. To me, this this ruins that. It helps ruin it because this is just another example where we clearly define that in in our Star Trek timeline, there is one timeline, and mm-hmm. we have to correct it, as opposed to the concept of the multiverse that the Abrams Trek embraces. But anyway, it's a different. That's a side. <laughs> um, well, see, I prefer to look at it more as like anything that's happened that can't unhappen. So when I when I watch an episode like this, and I, you know, you can't undo something that's happened it's just i guess just i guess it's just the way you have to think about it um so even though they change the timeline one way or another to me those things still occur you watch them you can't undo that even though it might change so i kind of like to think of it as more as an interdimensional thing where it's just a different dimension where a different storyline's playing out yeah, that's um, yeah. and i and you know i don't i don't really like thinking about abram's I mean, the first, I mean, we want to get in that. I mean, yeah, yeah I, don't, I didn't want to go that, that direction, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, let's but not, let's not go there. Is, it gives, what, but, but in, this, in this scenario, it does this concept that, hey, this timeline isn't just the wrong timeline. This is a bad place to be, this terrible war that's yeah. killed billions of lives. It gives us some stakes as to why that needs to be fixed. Because, uh-huh. you know, he does ask the question, who's to say that our timeline is the wrong one? Well, I, I think that we would we would if we if we think about it we would agree. Hey, if in this timeline billions and billions of lives were, were destroyed, mm-hmm. uh, then <laughs> this is the wrong timeline. This is not the timeline that we want. Yeah, yeah but I mean, there's I mean, literally so it gives us it gives us some stakes. Is what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are literally dozens and dozens of different timelines in Star Trek. If you want to just really get down to the nitty gritty, um, if you want to really drive down and you know be technical about every you know interdimensional thing that they do in Star Trek I mean <laughs> it, it could get very complicated so um, I try not to think about it too heavily in that area now what about do you guys remember this ep- Whoops. Do you guys remember this episode when it uh, when it came out do you remember Tasha coming back was that a big deal do you remember this episode being yeah, so good it's, time? It's, it's funny I don't I mean as big as, as big of a fan I am of this episode I don't necessarily recall the moment I saw it the first time I, I don't recall me that. neither why is that that's so weird that's I remember it's a time paradox I don't know uh, you're in a different mm-hmm. timeline Brian I guess so <laughs> no I remember that I remember I, I could be mistaken but I think I remember them pro- actually promoting her in the in yeah, this episode got episode. incredible, incredible ratings. It was, it was very, very successful. But I mean, I remember promotional stuff. Um, I remember the episode just because I thought it was really cool to see the story of the Enterprise. See, you know, you kind of fall on your old crutch. You know, you want to, you want to see more of the, you know, the original Enterprise. But it was kind of cool to see a it's different kind of story halfway between Next Gen and the original. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know we'll get the storyline of, Inter- of the Inter- a little bit of the Enterprise B in the first movie, obviously. But yeah, I liked, I liked the story. I liked seeing a little bit of the story about the Enterprise. I liked the design. I thought it was a really cool design. It was yeah. kind of just a, a mix of, actually, I thought it was a mix of the original Enterprise and the actual current, you know, Enterprise D. It's just kind of like that they were melted. It was a lot different than the Excelsior class that I believe B was. Mm-hmm. B was an Excelsior class for mm-hmm. similar to mm-hmm. anyway. Well, you know, one thing that I love, one of the many things I love about this episode is that it's it's so completely predicated on 
Guinan. You know, if Guinan wasn't there, this episode you you couldn't have it at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's that everything always has to come back to her, and I and you know because she, she's the one that knows this timeline has changed, and this this her as I've mentioned several times, but her relationship to Picard. My favorite scene in this episode is is the one when she comes in there, uh, and Picard says to her, "I need more," and she says, "There is no more." Mm-hmm. You know, um, it is kind of a I forget some other quote of Michael Pillar talking about, you know. That episode is so good because you've got the bartender telling the captain to send 500 people to their death, and <laughs> and you believe it, you know? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, you know. Um, gosh, Wait, what this. was the captain's name? Um, Garrett. Yeah. Garrett. Yeah, she reminded me a little, you know, a little pre-Janeway there. Mm-hmm. She's very good. You know, I mentioned in our other discussion, but so much of what makes this episode good is that Christopher McDonald is really good. Trisha, Trisha O'Neill, she is very good. The captain, you know, they're very good. And, and even Tasha, you know, Denise Cross becoming in his yard. I think maybe we take that for granted. She had not been on this show for a long time, yeah. two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they brought her on and she was yar, you know, it was immediate. It wasn't, there wasn't even a coming back in scene. Cause she, that was the, that was not the point, you know, is that she, it was that in this timeline, she's always been there. You know, and then she does such a she does a really good job. And and I, I I talked about when she left the show, how I think that it if she'd stayed, she would have become great like everybody else did. Just but maybe she left before she was able to build up her chops. But, you know, I think in this episode, she shows us that she's got it. You know, mm-hmm. she's just she's very good. She's very good. And and the character and it makes you it makes you it made made me miss the character. It made me wonder. You know what more mm-hmm. we could have had, but more than anything, it made me. It, it you know it did what I think a lot of Star Trek fans got out of it. As far as it, it made me feel okay about her demise. You know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was such well, a mean. It, just like she says in the show, it was a meaningless, pointless death. death you know, and that was hard as a fan. Mm-hmm. Come on, you gotta love Shooter McGavin as. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Every time I, you ever seen Happy Gilmore? Yeah, it's the only other place I know him from. Oh, Christian McDonald. No, I loved him in um, uh, Requiem for a Dream. That was my favorite movie. There, he's great. Well, he's a great character actor. I mean, there's pretty pretty much nothing that I haven't liked him in. But I mean, to me, his most memorable role is Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore. And it's just every time I see, I can't help it. The first time I see him, like, yep, there's Shooter McGavin. Uh, I listened to both commentaries on the Blu-rays. One is David Carson, an old commentary from 2008, and then the other one was a newer one with Ira Bear and Ron Moore and then the Akutas. And Ron Moore tells a story about how he saw Christopher McDonald on a plane, and he went up to him and said, uh, Mr. McDonald, <laughs> I like the look on McDonald's face was, oh, great. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he's an actor on a plane getting accosted or whatever by these fans. And he said, uh, you know, I, I, wrote, I co-wrote that Star Trek episode you did. And he's like, oh, it's really good. <laughs> anyway, it kind of made me laugh. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to hear from Ronald Moore now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's on um, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Sean and I have been watching that one. Um, um, oh, I don't know if he's going to make the next season, but yeah. Hey, don't give anything away, dude. <laughs> I said I don't know if he's going to make the next season. I'm not caught up yet. <laughs> and our listeners, that was a spoiler. All right. Um, <laughs> come back in 20 years. We'll talk about Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that I think this episode does really good, last thing before we say what it's about, the other thing that it does does really well is the way that it just gives all these hints about 
about this new this timeline, you know, and the way things are here. Aside from all the obvious visual stuff, they went to great efforts to change the way everything looks physically, the lighting, the uniforms. Um, aside from all that stuff, there's just all the there are all these little lines, you know. Uh, uh, Rikers, I think it's Rikers. This, hey, Starfleet could use another ship. You know, like, well, really? They're that desperate? What's going on? You know, you, yeah. you kind of cling um, on battleships are on the way. What? You know, there's it, they do such a, a good job of all these little bitty things that make it different. Um, uh, even even Riker's relationship to Picard, it's it's kind of antagonistic. There's never a yeah. he doesn't really even listen to him. No, he's kind of a dick in this episode, actually. <laughs> I mean, Which one, Riker? Riker? Riker, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a good three it wasn't a good three spot for um Jonathan Franks and William Riker in these this episode. <laughs> I really love the scene when Guinan comes in and sees Tasha and she's eyeing her and the music. Uh who, Dennis McCarthy, right? Yeah, Dennis mm-hmm. McCarthy's music for this episode is awesome. Yeah. It's really good. It's some of the best music that he wrote for any of the episodes, if not the best music he wrote. I love his generation score, but as far as the episodes, this might be my favorite of his scores. It's so incredibly good. And we never, ever give the music enough attention on this podcast. But you know, I definitely agree. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. Yeah, the opening music. I mean, we need the, the painting scene is a great, you know, <laughs> that was in this episode. I get him kind of jumbled a little bit, where Picard is painting and Data comes in. No, and he's... that's not this one. Nope. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway. Perspective, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's a matter of perspective. That was the best part about that episode. We'll move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one opens. This one opens and closes with Guinan on ten forward. In the first scene, it's uh, her oh, and yeah. she gives him prune juice. In the final scene, right. she's uh, with Jordy, even though he's wearing the wrong uniform. But nobody, nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a big deal. We introduced prune juice here too. All yeah. this stuff yep. we're talking about the prune juice, big prune deal. Stuff. Ron Moore also on that podcast. I'd never heard this before, but he mentions where he got that from. It was uh, it was from a, a, one of the Star Trek novels. Hmm. Okay. Um, God, we could talk about this episode for an hour. We're not going to, but I just I love this episode, and I think it does. It does an incredible job of holding up, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's going to give us great storylines. Oh God, yeah. later on, yeah. So I can see how you'd be very, very confused about Yar and her lineage uh, mm-hmm. by the time Sela comes back, but. Um, <laughs> I just it's sci-fi. I, I get I get excited putting this one on and and wow, yeah. it's in HD and yeah, it looks so good. God, um, what's this episode about? Well, I think we've already kind of alluded to it. I mean, for me, it's the whole notion of of cause and effect and how one small what appears to be a small thing now can have such a big impact later. I mean, we can't, none of us can time travel and we can't see 20 years in the future, but I think it puts weight on the uh, amount of good, something that we might not view as a huge act now can, can cause in the future. Well, Picard, I mean, literally says one more ship in the here and now will make no difference, but 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could mean everything. Mm-hmm. Caesar? Um, no, I agree. Um, I agree with Steve. Um, also, like what I said before, it's just um, it's it's engaging science fiction. Like you said, you know, some sometimes it doesn't work when a, when an episode's really plot heavy. Sometimes it does, and I think this is just uh, you know where it all kind of came together. Um, good science science fiction storytelling within a series, and um, that's what also makes this episode hold up. Well, the other thing that we just totally take for granted. 
because everything else is so good. But like the end, the ship battle at the end with the Klingons, that's really exciting and really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we get we see uh, Riker's death originally uh, in the script. I don't think they shot it, but they they had every single person die like some horrific <laughs> death. Wesley was decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> he had rolling in the through the aisles. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how they were going to shoot that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that end battle sequence, the ships and stuff, it's it's great. It's really good. It's really exciting. Um, anyway, this episode is fantastic. I love it. And pretty much every top ten list of next gen, it's always made it. Um, some lists, it's even been number one. It's it's probably, in, I guess, off the top of my head, I'm just, it's probably my top five anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's just, but it is a very Star Trek kind of episode, and it's an episode that, in a way, that you can. That you, in the same kind of way, I don't know, like Voyager flashback or something, like the Star Trek nostalgia history person in you can yeah. enjoy it, except this is actually also an incredibly good episode, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we've gone on for too long, but um, we love this episode, and we're going to reference it again in the future <laughs> as we talk about our past. But first, let's do Six Degrees for Yesterday's Enterprise. Let's see. I believe our score is... Um, you both got them there. You got that one. Uh, gosh. Um, Steve, Steve. I don't know. I think it's 2-1. No, I start, you said I could steal the question. Oh, the you're right. Time. I let you steal. You're right. It's 2-2. Two, two. Okay. So, so you want to go first or second, Adam? Um, I'll go second. Steve, Christopher McDonald plays Lieutenant Castillo. The officer that would prefer Tasha call him Richard. <laughs> McDonald was in the running to play a next-gen regular when the show was originally cast. What part did he audition for? Hmm. If I've heard this, I don't recall it. Um, huh. How about uh, Riker? You are correct. It was Riker. All right, Adam, let's see if you can tie it up for the day. Trisha O'Neill plays Captain Rachel Garrett, presumably the first female captain of a starship named Enterprise. She will return to Next Gen in its sixth season in the episode Suspicions, in which she plays the Klingon scientist Karak. One of the chief storylines in this episode deals with a new type of shield that can withstand being up close and personal with a star. Name this technology. Name this kind of shielding. Um, I always thought it sounded cool. Isn't that a Beverly, Beverly Crusher episode? Um, I don't remember the name. I'm the Solar Shield. No, Steve. Uh, it's like a multiphasic or something. You are so close, but I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. You're still one for the day. It's metaphasic. Metaphasic. Uh, metaphasic. I know that was that was a picky one, but I always thought it sounded cool. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think the one you thought of, Caesar, references the same shielding. But that was a different episode with that. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. um, So, really cool to get to watch and discuss yesterday's Enterprise. Um, Great. Thank you much again, uh, Benji, for joining us to talk about Deja Q. Two weeks. You guys looked it up. We got a couple of great episodes in in two weeks. So excited about that. And still probably going to have an exciting special guest next month. Uh, but still isn't not official enough to announce it. So hopefully next time we can we can tell you guys about that. And again, next time will be in two weeks. Um, so until then, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page, page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Send us an email, 
trekcompanion at gmail.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take it easy. Good night. See ya.